Well, good day again. Glad you're with us. I hope we've been saying some things and you've been sharing some things that have been uh, maybe revealing or at least uh, challenging or encouraging to you about the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And uh, like I said, I believe that uh, my friend who stated that uh, the 21st century, the message to the church and in the church is the kingdom of God. And um, we do need to understand the kingdom of God. I believe we've gotten farther and farther away from it as we've gotten less understanding of a monarchical system. Uh, we think God was a Democrat or he, was, uh, he uh, ruled through a republic or whatever the term was. But that's not the way it is in uh, God's realm and the spirit realm. It is all down to an understanding of the concept of kingdoms because that's all man knows. Uh, he was uh, the kingdom of self, the kingdom of darkness, and the kingdom of God are the three basic kingdoms uh, that we see in uh, the, the uh, uh, realms today. And so, so under, by understanding the kingdom, and once again, there's so much to this, and we're just trying to touch on as much as we possibly can, but we, hopefully you, you're receiving some things that are uh, enlightening to you. Now, uh, we're, our, our objective of this program is that you would be rekindled in your fire and in your search and in your hunger and in your love for the things of God. Uh, the church has lost uh, its first love. Have you lost your first love? The church seems to have lost that. And, uh, and we've got a great challenge in, in front of us uh, that uh, it seems like we are... Uh, more consumed with the elements of the world and the, and the things that are going on in society and how we can get uh, government straightened out and all those things. And all those are important, don't get me wrong. But, but we must understand that we've got to come back to prioritizing and uh, understanding that the Bible says in Matthew 6.33 that we are to seek first. That's the priority. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto us. Well, that's going to be brought up. We're going to be talking about that at some point. And, uh, but today we're still uh, on this uh, theme and area talking about uh, King Jesus. He's our king. He's uh, uh, the one who's seated at the right hand of the, of the Father. Uh, he's the one that's enthroned. Uh, he has called us kings and priests. And we're to reign on the earth as he is reigning in the heavenly realms that he is the head of the church according to Ephesians chapter 1 that he is the head of the church and we are the uh, the Hebrews say the bride uh, the term that the Greeks used was the body it didn't want to make it too strong and things but regardless is the fact that there is a head that is the authority and the body that is submitted to do what God wants us to do and so so we're talking about King Jesus now we said that in order to, uh, uh, to understand that is that we got to know that there's certain things. First of all, he was born a king. Uh, we see how they came seeking him. The Magi was seeking him. Herod was opposing him. And the Jewish priests, they simply ignored him as the king. Well, listen, you can't ignore a king. Anyway, that's another subject. But, uh, but we see that he was born a king. He, uh, they came looking at him and for him. Uh, the second thing that we see is that he died a king. Uh, John chapter 8, a Pilate who was a king himself 
was in discussion and, and dialoguing with him and asked him, he said, uh, uh, are you a king? And, he, and Jesus said, you say that I'm a king. Jesus didn't deny it. So in essence, what Jesus was saying was, I am a king and I have a kingdom. It's not of this world, but it is in this world. And so, so uh, he died a king for us. He didn't die a prophet. He didn't die a priest. He died as a king because that was his mission. He wanted to uh, take back what belonged to God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Uh, the third thing that we talked about is now he is reigning or ruling as a king. He's, uh, he's, he's now in that posture, and, and we see that he's seated on the throne, and uh, around that throne is, is flashes of light and enlightenment that's there. And we talked about how in Revelation that um, it says uh, in uh, 18 of the 22 chapters, he talks about the throne of God and the throne of God and this about the throne. And then we talked about how the, uh, Peter tells us the, that the attributes of the kingdom of God is the fact that we're a chosen generation, we're a royal priesthood, we're a holy nation, we're a peculiar people, that we should show forth the praises of him for what he's done and that we should let the light shine that is in the darkness, call forth the light into the darkness. And so we are to be the reigning instrument or the reigning entity on the earth for him. And so we must understand that he is a reigning king. Now we come to the, the next one, and the next one is simply this, found in Revelations chapter 19. And I want to read it here out of uh, uh, verse 11 through 16. It says, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, the next area that we want to talk about is he is the coming king. Uh, Revelation chapter 19 and verse 16 says that he has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written king of kings and lord of lords. So he is the coming king. We see this. And so as a coming king, there's a lot of things that we need to realize. The first time that he came, he came riding on a donkey as the Prince of Peace. That was the first time. He made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. A donkey, and, and uh, his name was the Prince of Peace. But the second time when he comes, he's going to be riding on a white horse as a conquering king. Now, there's two times that in the book of Revelation it talks about a white horse. First time it's found in Revelation chapter 6, and the second time it is talking about Revelation chapter 19. They are two different things because they're two different functions. But in this incident here, we see that he comes 
And this particular time is that it's not just coming to, as a, uh, uh, to receive his people, but he's coming as a conquering king, as one who is paying a royal visit to his subjects, a royal visit to an area. Now, one of the things about a king that he must do from time to time, he has to make a journey away from his throne into his territory to remind the people that he is the king and why they dress the way they dress, why they talk the way they talk, uh, why they are educated the way they're educated, uh, why they are governed the way they are governed. All that takes precedence and is, and is a, a brought back into a, a strength when a king will visit, say, an island that he has a, a ownership of or a, or a land that he has ownership of, that he cannot just stay where his throne is and always remain there. He has to go from time to time to visit those territories. The same way with Jesus, that the Spirit of Christ comes as a royal visit, and then when he comes, he's a coming king. Yes, he. I know he's going to come in the future, but also he comes at intervals historically. Uh, in our nation, we've had about four or five great awakenings. Those were four or five royal visits from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It brought transformation to our nation. It brought awakening in the lives of God's people. It brought an awareness of spirituality and the sensitivity. Uh, it brought a, an enlightening of the Word of God. It brought a, uh, uh, a moral, uh, moral uh, uh, thermometer uh, into the midst of it. Uh, it brought liberty for those that were in bondage. It freed slaves. It, uh, uh, it freed nations uh, from, from tyrants and things along those lines. So it, you could say that it was a royal visit, a coming of King Jesus to his people through the Spirit. The Spirit of Christ is what I call it. And so, so he comes. And so what usually when a royal visit is come, you will see the release of two things you will see the release, number one, of the prophets. Prophets come proclaiming the heart of God. They come proclaiming the purposes of Jesus. They come proclaiming the destiny of his church is that it's to be without spot or wrinkle and is to be a demonstration of the kingdom of God. So prophets are usually come. That's why I believe, and, and the second thing is, is that uh, there's a preparation for the king. This has to do with uh, the apostles. Apostles are, are more preparatory than they are anything. They help to come and prepare the church for this royal visit. You see when uh, I was uh, reading some material and listening to uh, uh, some people that are part of the commonwealth, and, and when they were younger, uh, whenever the uh, a queen was getting ready to come and visit their island or to visit their territory, uh, they had to get the streets clean, and they had to get the, the yards mowed. They had to get their houses painted and, and uh, the, the plants uh, in uh, proper land. They had to paint the fences. The streets had to be cleaned, and the buildings had to be washed. And everything had to be prepared for the royal visit of the queen. Well, it's the same way with Jesus. Jesus says, I'm coming to visit. I'm coming on a royal visit. And so I release my apostles and prophets into the midst of them. 
and the apostles, I mean the prophets, began to pronounce and make the announcement that the king is coming. And then the apostles, they began to prepare the church for the visit, the royal visit of the king. Now look at me, listen. A lot of times, and I love pastors and evangelists and teachers, a lot of times that when they are at the helm or the leadership, a pastor has a tendency to let the church get kind of like jello. It kind of loose and, uh, you know, not real, not real firm and, and sometimes even creating uh, insecurity because he's concerned about tending the sheep and caring for the sheep and loving on the sheep and all that. And all that's very important. But when the apostle comes in, he brings his toolbox and he begins to tighten down the church. He begins to tell them, listen, you're a little loose here and you need to look at this area of administration and you need to consider this and you need to look at this and you need to do this. And, and he just goes in with his toolbox and he just simply begins to tighten everything down, preparing the church for the visitation. Well, in the last 20 years, we have had the prophets that have been released across the world and the prophetic mantle has been released to the body of Christ announcing to us the visitation, a royal visitation that is coming. Now, I don't know if it's the final one. I don't know that. But I do know this, that we are in line for a royal visitation from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Then the last 10 years, we've seen the apostle that has come back to the body of Christ. People said that it's been restored. Uh, you can use that term. That's a good term to use. I personally believe they've always been there, and they've always been available to the church. I think we're just now coming to a place where we're sensitive and recognizing those two gifts once again as relevant and important, but also they are also shifting us into a new era that we're moving into. And a new era usually requires the king to come and give instructions, give the laws into this new era. And so, so we're seeing that we're in this time with apostles and prophets coming, not that they own everything or not the, they're the hierarchy. They are one of the five-fold gifts that is there to make apostleship work. And so the coming of the king, he's going to come in a white horse. Uh, we'll see that in just a minute. Uh, when is he going to come? People ask me all the time, well, when is he going to come in the natural? Well, let me just give you a passage of Scripture. Uh, this is all I know, all right? Go with me to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, and here's what it says. Chapter 15, and look at verse 20. And it says this. It says, uh, But now is Christ risen from the dead, and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. As in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end. The word is telos, telos, Telios or telios, telios, and it means the end. And it says, And when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and all power. He must reign 
till he had put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. So here we see that it says afterward, verse 23, they that are Christ at his coming, the parousia. The parousia is the idea of a royal visit. Now, I won't take time to go into that. And then also at his coming, there's a word that is the word eschatos, where we get our word eschatology. Teleology is the study of end things. Eschatology is the study of last things. There's a difference. Now, what we do is we have a tendency to think eschatology is in things and in things is last things. And we get those confused. And so we know that Jesus is coming. He said he's coming at the end, teleology. He's coming when he shall deliver up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule, all authority, and all power. So we know that he's coming. But in Revelations chapter 19, back to the, that area, coming as a royal visit. Now notice here, there's several things that it says about this royal visit, about this coming king. First of all, it says that his name is written. Look here, it, it says his name is written in verse 11. I saw heaven open and behold a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness... He doth judge and make war. Okay? So we see in verse 12, His eyes were a flame of fire, and on His head were many crowns. And He had a name written that no man knew but Himself. So a name was written. What was the name that was written? Names of those that He took dominion over. Names of those that He had defeated. Only He knows those whom He has defeated, and He alone owns those crowns. He took them, and we see later on that he talks about the faults. He talks about little horn, three horns, seven crowns, seven heads of dragons, chapter 12, verse 3, ten diadems on ten heads of the beast. Notice he says that these are the names of those that he has defeated or he has taken dominion over. Now, it also says that he is going to rule those areas with a rod of iron. It's the idea of a shepherd and they are coming under submission to that shepherd. It's the rod of iron. Uh, Psalms chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9 says, Ask for the nations, and he will give us the nations, and that he might rule them with what? A rod of iron. So we see in this royal visit that it is international in scope. It's going to have a, 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 an element of authority. Uh, he's going to come in with authority through his kings, through his uh, uh, royal priesthood, through his chosen generation, he's going to come in and he's going to begin to rule those nations with a rod of iron through those people. And as he does, he defeats them and he defeats them. You see, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophets, they spoke only of his coming. But John the Baptist, he announces his coming, he announces his presence, he announces that, that he's met him, and he also now has time that he has also baptized him. So the name that is written are territories that we go forth, we take for him, and to give it back to him. Those things are now the areas where he exercises dominion through his church, through his vehicle. He now, those names are written on his 
uh, uh, person. Uh, it also says in verse 13, And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. What does that mean? This blood is not his own blood, but it's also the blood of his enemy. And the blood was mixed with his own blood. Now, I know there's a big debate out whether we uh, uh, plead the blood or we call on the blood or whatever. Well, my opinion is, is that the blood is the only thing that the enemy cannot counterfeit. The blood is what defeated the enemy. It's what defeated Satan, the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ is what liberated the heavenly tabernacle, and it's what liberates us. Uh, Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. They overcame him, what? By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they considered not their lives even unto death. Now, we think that is a verse that was written to the church. It wasn't. It was a verse that was written to the heavenly tabernacle. There was a war going on in heaven. So how did they defeat the devil? They defeated him with the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood that we see here is the blood that the church uses and that has been applied and that when God sees the blood, he passes over when he's pronouncing sentence on nations. So the ultimate jihad or the ultimate holy war is going to be as the church rises up, marches in its power and authority that has been given into it. It's not natural physical blood, but it is a it is a war that's going on, spiritual warfare that's going on, and that that through this dipped blood that is there, uh, the vesture that is covered with the blood, the power instrument that is over our life will defeat the enemy. Now notice it says that his name is called the Word of God. Well, first we've got to move on and see that he came riding on a white horse. He came riding on a white horse. Now, a white horse is interesting because a white horse represents superiority, it represents victory, and it represents royalty. Verse 11, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. Here we see Jesus come riding in as the king, and we see his royal visit, visit as superiority, you know, and also as a victorious entity. Now, notice that a, a, whenever there was a, a major victory that was handled through the Greeks or through the Parthians or through the Romans or whatever, Whenever the emperor would arrive back into the town, the way the people knew that the emperor had been victorious is that he was either pulled or he was riding upon white horses. White horses was a picture of a leader and all his army that, that had been victorious. Jesus gives his picture of celebration that he's riding, come riding in because he is faithful and true and he's riding upon this white horse as royalty and as victorious. Then it says that, that they, uh, verse 13, was clothed with a vesture dipped in the blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Verse 15, it says, And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. The Word of God. Hallelujah. This word is the preexistence 
the divine nature of God. And the Bible tells us that as we partake of His divine nature, we are the ones also that we, uh, out of our mouth goes a sharp two-edged sword. The Bible tells us that in Ephesians chapter 6 that we are to put on the full armor of God. And out of our mouth shall go a sharp two-edged sword. And so we see this. So it was used by the, uh, by the Jews a lot of times because the Word of God, it communicates God's ways and God's will. Whenever we do God's ways and God's will, we are honoring the covenant. And when we honor the covenant, we are being honored by God Himself. The Jews understood this. There was a thing they called the Mimrah in Deuteronomy 26, 17, and 18. It says, You have appointed the word of God a king over you this day, that he may be your God. So the king has a word that he decrees. When the king makes a decree, remember uh, Darius makes a decree about anybody who worships uh, other than his God, uh, they were going to be thrown to the lion's den. Well, when he found out Daniel was uh, making uh, worship to Jehovah God, uh, he throws him in the lion's den. We all know the story. The lions didn't bother him all night. And the king went and reversed the decree the next day. Why? Because if he makes a decree, he has authority to reverse the decree because that's what a king can do. All right? So we see this. So the word is, says in Hebrews chapter 4 that the word of God is living and powerful. It's life and energy. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It fulfills His purpose on the earth. Revelation chapter 17 and verse 17, chapter 6 and verse 11. Jehovah Himself says, I'm watching to see that my word is fulfilled. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 12. So God is watching over His word. The word was the Father's agent in creation. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word is God. And he goes on and talks about it. So the Word is His agent for judgment and commissioning. The, 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 the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God is based upon His Word. So we are to partner to bring justice in the earth with Him. It's a sharp sword, uh, the symbol of God's Word. We said that. It's a prophetic symbol. Christ will consume the enemy with the spirit of His mouth, it says. And as a result, He will rule with a rod of iron. So... Notice here that uh, it's a symbol of his justice. The rod of iron is a symbol of his justice as he rules over the earth. Why? Because we are to colonize the earth. We are to dislodge the enemy and set up, and, and not set up, but, but to demonstrate and influence the, through the kingdom of God and colonize the world. So here we are today. It's the, we, are, we are the people of God. He's, the, he's born a king. He died a king, he, he reigns as a king today, and he's coming as a king. And if you are here today and you want to understand and know who this king is, his name is Jesus. I want you to just get on the email, email us a question or you, something you do or how you can find Jesus, and let us know that your life is being rekindled.